So there was a, a young couple, and they were engaged, and they went shopping for a wedding ring. They walked into a jewelry store and they took their time looking through all of the display cabinets at the various rings. And after a short time, they asked one of the shop assistants if they could see one of the rings they liked. He opened the cabinet. He took out the ring. He then pulled out a black cloth from his pocket, put it on in the palm of his hand. He then set the ring in the center of the cloth. And he positioned his hand in just the right place that one of the lights in the ceiling, the beam of it, caught the ring. And as you can imagine, it dazzled and it sparkled. The, this, the, the shop assistant knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that against the backdrop of the black cloth and the light, the diamond would sparkle like fire. In a very real sense, Paul knew that as he prepared to tell the Roman Christians about the gospel, that it would truly shine gloriously bright against the backdrop of humanity's dark and depraved sinful condition. That's the reason why from chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul, in this section, is addressing the bad news of the gospel. His concern, as we've said in previous weeks, is to persuade us that all of us are deserving of God's wrath. All of us stand condemned. We are guilty before God. Paul's climactic conclusion will be, all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And it's against this backdrop of bad news that the glorious good news will shine all the more brighter. Now, last week we we looked at the headline in chapter 1 verse 18, or last time, we said, the the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And I said that stands like a headline over this section on the bad news. Paul wants to prove the case that all of us, our greatest problem in life is that we, we are under the wrath of God. And last time we looked at three ways in which Paul proved his case, he said, one, we stand condemned and guilty because of revelation, general revelation. God has made it plain and clear to all in his creation that he exists. But humanity, in our unrighteousness, we suppress the truth. Two, We stand guilty and condemned before God because of our idolatry. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. Instead of God giving God the praise and the honor that he deserves, we instead worship the created rather than the creator. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men. And in number three... Paul said, we stand guilty and condemned before God because of our immorality. God has given us over to our sin, to the lusts of our hearts, to our impurity, to our dishonorable passions, to our debased minds, to do what ought not be done. And so Paul's major indictment is this, all of us are without 
excuse. We stand condemned. We are guilty as charged. As we come to chapter 2, Paul continues his relentless indictment of humanity's sinful state. But here in chapter 2, Paul, as it were, turns the spotlight away from humanity in general, and especially the Gentiles, to, to focus on the Jew. You see, Paul knew that the, the Jews that were in the Roman congregation, well, they would have heard what he said in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and they would have nodded their heads in agreement on how bad others were. They would have applauded him for his damning indictment, while all the while thinking of themselves as good and upright people, godly. Not numbered among the list of evildoers that he's listed so far. Because remember, the Jews, well, they're God's chosen people. They're heirs of the promise. They were the ones given the law. And in many a Jewish person's mind, they were exempt from condemnation. They would say, yeah, of course God's wrath will be poured out on the immoral, the pagan, those who live in debauchery. But not on us. We're God's chosen people. Well, it's here beginning in chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul's going to say, no, 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 no. You are without excuse. It's really interesting. See back in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, Paul speaks, they, 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 them, 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 them. Chapter 2, you, 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 you. He takes the focus of humanity in general and he gets personal and he says to the Jew, I'm addressing you. And I want to suggest to you that there is a more universal application to this text for all of us. You see, what was true of Israel is true of so many of us. You see, we might have heard what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 and 32 and agreed with his assessment. But one of our problems is we're sitting here in church. And perhaps as, as good and as godly folks, upright and moral people, we think, yeah, yeah, that's all true, and it's, it's true of our culture out there, but perhaps we don't think of it in terms of us ourselves. Well, Paul's going to persuade us as he did these Jews. No, no, no. You are condemned. Three points tonight. Hypocritical hearts are blinded to their sin. Number two, hypocritical hearts are hardened towards repentance. Number three, hypocritical hearts store up wrath for the day of judgment. Read verses one to three with me. Therefore, you have no excuse O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Stop there. First thing Paul wants to do is 
to expose to the Jews who, who were sitting in the congregation nodding and applauding when Paul was giving the damning indictment of the Gentiles in particular and you, uh, all peoples, he is now wanting to expose to them their hypocrisy. You see, they, they sang, they listened, and they nodded, and they applauded. Paul's saying, no, 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 you guys need to understand, you have no excuse. For those of you who judge the Gentiles, you do the very same things you yourselves. The things that you condemn in them, you do. And so the, the issue that we're going to see in this section is that the, the Jewish hypocrisy. Now you can imagine saying, you can imagine hearing a Jew say in response to Paul, how Paul? Like look at the list you've given us in, in chapter 1 verse 18 to 32. Like these people, they're evil. They're debased. They're depraved. Paul, we're not. We're good. We're moral. We're godly. We seek to follow the laws of God. And in many ways, Paul would say, okay, so in chapter 1, verses 18 32, we spoke about their sexual immorality. You've heard it said in the Old Testament, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus said, if you look at a woman in lust, you have as good as committed adultery. And, and, he, and if we were to put that to you, how do you stand there? condemned they're evil yeah they're murderous chapter 1 verses 18 through 32 but you have you ever murdered a person because jesus said if you harbor hate in your heart you have as good as murdered someone now here's the thing about these jews they, they listened on and they cast judgment and yet they themselves were guilty of doing the very same things. And so Paul says here, you are without excuse. You know, that's one of the reasons we read from Second Samuel chapter 12. You've got this moment, right, where David, who has slept with Bathsheba, he's had Uriah killed, he's, he's tried to cover it up, he thinks he's gotten away with it. And then the prophet Nathan comes, he tells him that story of the rich man and the poor man and the little lamb, and David's outraged as he listens on. He becomes judge, and he says, that man deserves to die. And then Nathan says to him, you are the man. And that's the thing about hypocrisy. We are so often blind to our own sin. We become so self-righteous that we become blind to our very own sin. So, so tonight, right, just a perfect illustration. I couldn't find the car keys to come to church. Now, when Marina can't find the car keys, I get mad. <laughs> come on, can't believe it, we need, we need to go. But when I can't find the car keys, I want everyone to have compassion on me. Then we're driving to church. And we get to a green light and Marina phones me. There, a traffic light. And it turns green. And see when that happens and the person at the front doesn't move. See behind, I'm seething. I'm angry. 
See, tonight when he peeped at me, I was, oh! But sometimes I'm blind to my own faults, but I see the problem in others. John Stott used to put it like this. We work ourselves up into a state of self-righteous indignation over the disgraceful, disgraceful behavior of other people while the very same behavior seems not merely so serious when it is ours rather than theirs. You see, when, when, when you're hypocritical, you, you find it easy to condemn others, but you're totally blind to yourself. You know, sometimes I can be so quick and harsh in, in, in my judgment when I'm making a criticism, say, of Marina. But when I do the same things, I, I want her to be compassionate. I want her to understand that I'm tired or I've been busy. Now, what Paul says here is, when you judge others, you are judging yourself. And this comes straight from the lips of Jesus. Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you, not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Paul in this verse is saying, listen, you need to be very careful. You will judge. Because you do the very same things and therefore you condemn yourself. See, Paul's saying, see on the final day of judgment, when you stand before God, you know, for the counsel, for the pro prosecution it will be you god will hold you to your standard francis schaefer he used to illustrate it like this he said imagine you were born with an invisible tape recorder dated illustration imagine you were born with alexa as we were thinking about this morning inside of you and the only time alexa was triggered was every time you make a moral judgment Every time you make a moral judgment of another person, Alexa starts recording. And then when you die, you stand before God. And God says to you, it's simple, here's the judgment. I'm going to press rewind, and then I'm going to press play, and you are going to be judged by the measure. You judge others. How do you fare? You stand condemned. Each of us are condemned by our own moral judgment. Paul's point is that our fondness for judging others leaves us without excuse regarding our own sin. Now, now look at what he says in verse 2, right? We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. The word rightly in the middle of the adverb is... is we know that the judgment of God falls according to God's truth and those who practice such things. So the NIV puts it like this. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. See, here's, here's the difference between our judgment and God's judgment. See, when we make judgments, it's always biased towards self-justification. And our judgment is often strongest when it's other people, when it's not us. Whereas God's judgment is perfect. It's always according to truth. And just think about God, right? He's omniscient. So he knows us better than we know ourselves. He's perfect understanding of us. In fact, verse 16 says he knows the secrets of our hearts. 
Every time we speak, he, he, he measures our words because he knows the motives behind them. Every time we act, he knows what's driving it. He knows the thought process or the lack of thought process. His judgment is always on the basis of truth. You know, what's interesting, our judgment of others is always on the basis of external appearances. God's judgment is on the basis of reality. You know, a few years back, the the true crime podcasts were a big thing. I don't know if they're still a big thing. Where you get these journalists and they re-explore real-life crimes, often murderers, serial killers, and they re-examine the case. They they go through all the evidence, the fine-tooth comb, and they they try and see, was the person who was convicted, were, were they really guilty? And there's been so many famous instances where uh, they, they've had to have cases reopened because the person who was sentenced was wrongly sentenced. And one of the tragedies about living in a sinful, fallen world is our justice system can, does, get it wrong. Here's the thing, not so with God's judgment. It's always according to reality. Now, the thing about the Jew sitting there, though, he's inside of himself, but he says, but but God, we're your chosen people. We're heirs of your promise. God, on that last day, surely, surely, we will not be condemned because we are yours, right? Look at verse 3. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? You really think that on the last day, you who do such things will be able to wriggle your way out of God's judgment? The answer is no. All who stand condemned will be judged justly according to truth on the last day. And Paul, in saying all of this, he's, he's trying to sober the Jew up. You are condemned. You need a savior. The tragedy about the Jew was they were blinded to their own sin. They could see the sins of all the, the, the Gentiles, the sins of humanity, but they could not see the sins of themselves. Can I ask you a question? Do you see yourself? Are you a hypocrite? Like, are you like the Jew? Do you find it easy to judge others for doing the very same things that you yourself do? And then do you excuse yourself? Do you think you're an exception to God's just judgment? And what's your appeal? You're reformed. You belong to this church or a good church. You come to church morning and evening, faithful in your attendance. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, do them yourself, that you will escape escape the judgment of God? 
We, we can't miss this. Paul, Paul has been relentless with the bad news because he wants to expose us to the truth and reality. We stand condemned. Now, now, now then we come to the fact that hypocritical hearts are hardened towards repentance. Look at what he says in verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. See, see the Jew, in his head, right, he's been living his life, seeking to live a good, moral, upright life, trying to live out God's law, and, and, and he's come to the conclusion, well, God's not just zapped me, struck me down, judged me. So I must be fine. I must be okay. And, and this is one of the tragedies is that because the Jew thought of themselves as without sin, they did not think they needed to repent. They thought God is generous, God is kind. If you know the Old Testament, it's one of the most repeated verses again and again. God is gracious, God is kind, God is merciful, God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And so the Jew, they, they, they just presumed on the, the kindness of God, but the tragedy was in their self-deception, in their moral confusion, they mistook God's merciful delay in his judgment as approval of them. And you know one of the tragedies is you can get people in churches just like this. They'll say to you, I'm a Christian. And I'll say I'm a Christian because, you know, there was a moment in the past I professed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repented, and I know on the last day God will forgive me. And they spend all of their life and the evidence of their initial repentance, there's, there's none of it in their life. In fact, they just spend their entire life presuming upon God's grace. God's good. It's God's business. It's God's job. Come on to forgive. God's kind. So they live as they please. Sometimes in, in their hypocrisy, because they go to church, because they seek to keep the law, they think they'll be okay. They don't see the need for a life of repentance. Can I ask you this question? Do you presume in the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the patience of God? Do you understand that God, in delaying, pouring out his punishment of you, is because he is giving you the opportunity to repent? One of the, the, the glorious things about the gospel, isn't it? It's that God remains perfectly just with the need to punish sin at the exact same time he holds out mercy and love to those who deserve his wrath. That, that, that's, that's, the, well, that's the cross. The judgment we deserve is taken in full upon Jesus. God's justice is satisfied. But for those who don't repent, the justice, the judgment of God will fall on them on the day of judgment. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness 
We've got to ask ourselves this question because Trukton, who is no longer under condemnation as they avail themselves to the fact that they know that they are called before God to repent and they see his kindness, they see his grace, they see his patience, his reason to turn to him and ask for his mercy. Remember what Paul says in Titus? Why has the grace of God appeared? The grace of God has appeared so that we might say no to ungodliness. That we might change the way we are living and start turning away from sin and living for God. The hypocritical heart becomes hardened towards repentance. And then thirdly and finally, look at verse 5. The hypocritical heart stores up wrath for the day of judgment. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, I need to be a bit pastoral here because I, I, can, I can easily imagine that you could hear what I've just said there and you might think, well, I'm not really sure if my faith, do I need to repent all the time so that God won't judge me and so that I won't go to hell? Um, like, 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 if, 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 I don't want to be the person who's presuming on God's kindness. Verse 5 makes it clear that Paul's speaking to people who are not imperfect, sometimes slow to repent, but he's speaking to people who are persistent in their impenitence. He's not saying that God's wrath is going to come on people who sin and sometimes fail even in their repentance, but he's speaking to those people who sin and who habitually will never repent and who will go on presuming on the kindness of God, these Jews. Their stubbornness, their unrepentant hearts is what makes them condemned before God. In fact, it's really fascinating, right? See when it says there, you're storing up for yourself wrath? That language of storing up, it's a banking term in, in, in that context, for century context. And, and, and you remember how Jesus used it? We're to store up trust in heaven. If you go on sinning, hard-hearted, hypocritical, judging others, you know what you're doing? You are storing up wrath. Do you know that when, when, when on the last, when those who face the condemnation of God, when those who come under the wrath of God, they will plead that there was, God would remove, forget about one of their sins because they'll be judged for every single one of their sins and every single one of their sins stored up wrath for that day. And do you know why it's because? It's because they missed the riches of God's kindness. It's because they didn't see that the riches of God's kindness was supposed to not, was to lead them to repentance, was to lead them to Jesus, was to lead them to salvation. Whereas instead, their hypocritical hearts, hardened to repentance, led them to live in such a way where they stored up wrath for the day of judgment. Now, 
brothers and sisters, as, as we study this together, Paul is showing us why we all need the gospel. You know, it's really interesting that people who outwardly live good lives, potentially even so-called godly lives, lives that look godly, at least externally, be so blind to their sin internally. Paul wants us to know, no, 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 you need to face up to your sin. Paul wants us to see the only way your hard heart will become a soft heart is if you stop and you pause and you take seriously the kindness of God. And where is the kindness of God most manifest? In the work of the Son of God. And then finally, brothers and sisters, as we repent, as we turn to Christ, as we go to him for what we do not deserve, truly the gospel is all the more glorious because we deserve his just judgment, but we don't store up wrath for ourselves. We store up treasure. And we'll look more at that next week in verses 6 through 11. And so the call of this passage is, here's the bad news. All of us stand condemned, Jew and Gentile. But all of us are being given this call. Repent of your hypocrisy. Turn to Christ. Live a life of repentance, trusting in Christ, storing up treasures in heaven, not wrath for that day. Let's pray. God, we pray that this evening you would unmask us, uh, that we wouldn't be those who put on a mask in your presence, pretend to be something that we're not. You would show us ourselves. God, sometimes we can be so trivial, can't we, and, and so light about our sin, and yet it's more often than not because we're so blind to our sin. We watch television and we see these sex scandals, we see political scandals, and inside of us we can find ourselves judging them all the while we in our minds can have our own lusts and thus commit adultery. We can look at the war in Europe and we can see the murder, and yet we fail to see that in our hearts that so often we can harbor hatred and so are guilty of murder itself in your eyes. And so, God, we pray that you would help us take heed of what we've heard tonight, but we thank you that as we hear the bad news, it's all in preparation so that we might fully appreciate the wonder and the glory of the good news, that you're a God who offers your people forgiveness and mercy. If we turn from our sin and turn to you, and you offer us security, and it's not about the amount of our repentance. It's not about our life. It's about Christ's perfect life lived on our behalf so that we might have his righteous record and stand faultless before your throne. And yet we're amazed that, God, you would even reward your people for living in ways that please you and honor you. And so we pray that as we go from here, that we would not presume in your kindness, but we would live in light of your kindness, saying no to ungodliness and seeking to live righteous lives. We pray this in your son's glorious and precious name. Amen.